Today we have one of Golf Digest's top 50 golf fitness professionals. He is the CEO and founder of Par for Success. Let's welcome Chris Finn to the podcast. Chris, I appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a, it's a joy to be here and, uh, and honestly quite an honor as well. Well, uh, everybody wants to do a little fitness after COVID. Everybody wanted to be more health conscious and everything. But let's uh, get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit of your background and how Par for Success started. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it really it, it came from, I guess, the genesis of you know, not not really thinking that uh, golf fitness would work. <laughs> Coming from a pretty skeptical place, to be honest. But, you know, my background is a strength and conditioning coach through college, and then uh, you know, I got my graduate my uh, physical therapy degree, and so I'm a licensed physical therapist as well. And you know, coming from the medical and strength and conditioning world, really the the goal you know I always had was to help people, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. You know Having fallen in love with golf, it was like, hey, you know, why? What, I'm going to try to do what I love, helping people in the, you know, with their bodies, and I'm going to try to do it with golf because two things I love, you know, supposedly if you do what you love, then you never work a day in your life. So, so that sounds like a pretty cool thing. I'm going to try to do that. Absolutely. And you know, really, really, it just came from, you know, I, I started just driving around in my car, and uh, I had a table in the back, and you know, knocking on doors at different golf clubs, and you know, trying to meet different golf pros, and you know. Yeah, it was a long, long haul doing it that way. But, you know, lo and behold, you know, fast forward, you know, eight, nine, almost 10 years now at this point forward. And, you know, we've grown to a point where, you know, we have a, a physical therapy team. That all, all we do is work with golfers. We have a, um, you know, a fitness strength and conditioning team where all they do is work with golfers. And we're able to build this pretty cool community of golfers around the world where, you know, really everybody's working to play the game as long as they can and really increase their longevity in the game. And, whatever nature that means to them. If they're juniors, you know, trying to get to the next level and keep playing competitively in college, you know, all the way to, you know, the 75 year olds who are Mm -hmm. just trying to gain another, gain another five years of golf in their life. Right. So longevity means different things to different people, but really it's, our goal is really just really morphed into trying to be the best in the world at giving golfers longevity in the game at whatever stage they're at. What and, uh, were some that's of, kind of where we where we come from. What were some of those challenges early on? I mean, you got you're in the back of your car, you go into the golf courses. What were some of those challenges? <laughs> that had to be. Uh, here's a guy walking around, got a table. Here, come on, stretch out and, and work out a little bit here. So uh, that had to be kind oh, of yeah. a unique uh, look for you. Yeah, definitely got a lot of interesting side eyed looks and kind of tilts. And you know, you got to remember, so this was early. It's probably 2010, 2011. Right. So in terms of the the mainstream world you know, fitness for golf was still kind of like a, a goofy thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, sure, everybody saw Tiger doing it. You know, the pros had started to adapt it at that point. But in terms of the average amateur golfer, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, what do you do? And I, I, I do fitness for golf. Like, oh, I, I, I do, I do you know, 12-ounce curls with the beers every time <laughs> I, you know, I mean, Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's like, okay. And they're like, yeah, I don't need that. Look at John Daly. He was fat. He didn't need, he didn't need mm-hmm. fitness. And so there was, there was a lot of early on, and I, I joke now to you know, our team now, and I say you know, it's so much easier now because people actually know and accept what fitness for golf is and the value that it brings. And, you know, but back, back then, it's hard to believe, you know, nine, ten years ago, the average golfer really had no idea what it was. Their, their, their access to what it was and how it could help them really was pretty limited and, and, and unknown. So there was definitely early on it was not only just, you know, convincing people that, you know, I could help them, but also explaining to them what the heck I did. Um, so that, that definitely made it a little bit more challenging. And, but, you know, I think it's, it's made me appreciate to where we've gotten today where, you know, the golfer community at large really understands the value of keeping their body healthy. And that that is truly other than the golf ball, 
the only thing that they use in every single swing when they play. And if that breaks down, you know, then then we're going to have problems from a performance standpoint, from a health standpoint. You know, uh, and it just it, the game doesn't become as fun. Yeah, and you guys use a lot of data, and I think that's kind of the cool part uh, to gear your program specifically to your specific athlete. How has that changed, and what are some of the things that you how you use that data with your uh, the athletes you're working with? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So it actually, so I, I mentioned before, I'm, I'm I'm quite the skeptic, and so it started out early. I was tracking, you know club head speed and, you know, how strong people were and a couple, you know, lots of different tests that I'd learned, you know, some different, uh, you know, different areas. And yeah, I was really just tracking it to see what the heck would work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really for me, right. It was pretty much hundred percent for me just to see, you know, what would work. Integrity is a big thing for me. That's what our company's built on. And I didn't want to, I felt wrong asking people to pay me if I didn't know I could help them. Um, and so that was where, you know, our early days of data were really just, you know, me trying to figure out, Hey, this is where some, you know, person a started and we did you know we did x and this is where they ended up you know did that help or not and and that's that kind of healthy skepticism really has continued for throughout the entire growth of the company to the point now where we've got a database of you know well over six thousand golfers we've got thousands and thousands of swings on force plates and 3d capture systems and launch monitors that we can relate that we've related to all the different physical metrics of strength and flexibility and power and, you know, to the point now where when somebody comes in, the data is really for the client. And it's to say, hey, we can, like, show people, hey, this is mm-hmm. how you compare to other golfers your age. And if this is where you, like, for juniors, like, if this is where you want, this is, let's say, this is where you are at 14 and you want to play collegiately at Division One level in the ACC, let's say. Mm-hmm. Like, well, well, here's where these guys, this is guys or girls, like, this is where they are. And this is where you are. And if you want to get there to be, be competitive, you know, here, here's the three or four things we need to be do to get you there. And so it's really cool to be able to kind of give a clear path to the golfers now of whether it's kids trying to, you know, like in that example, if it's a, you know, 60, 70 year old golfer and there's, Hey, how do I play until I'm 80 or how do I stay healthy at my current club head speed? How do I gain club head speed and do that without getting hurt? Uh, it's really cool to be able to not now use the data where it used to be for me. <laughs> Am I actually helping people to now being, Hey guys, this is the pathway that, that it's, where we can get to, and this is what's actually possible, you know, for people in your situation, uh, you know, at your stage in golf. You're seeing that in, in just in instruction as well. Uh, they're, they have mm-hmm. the same thing. It's, it's amazing. I, I would say really in the last uh, five, six years, it's, it's, it, and I'm old school, you know, and, and it, just to see the things and, and doing TV and you look at all the technology and all the data out there, it's, it's mind boggling, but the athletes that you're working with, and the guys that are playing, the gals that are playing on the professional tours, they're using that and they understand it. So it's not intimidating to them. It's a little intimidating sometimes to me, but I always like to be able to see something. Uh, I always thought that helped me as the student. But let's break it into a few different categories. Let's start with the juniors. You mentioned them. So if a junior walks into to y'all for the first time, what can they expect? And what are the, some of the things you're going to look for when they, they walk in to, be, uh, to get some help from y'all? Yeah, sure. So when a, when a junior comes in, Really, the, the big thing what we're trying to figure out is, is kind of where are they developmentally and, and where are their goals, right? So mm-hmm. obviously understanding where their golf game is at. If they're coming in at 17 and shooting 85, you know, they're, that's going to be a different collegiate level of play that they're right. looking for than if they come in at, you know, 11 and they're shooting, you know, 70, right? Mm-hmm. So, so definitely having a, a context of, hey, where are you at in your college journey? You know, are you even going to go to college or are you going to go, you're just going to try to play professionally? Um do you have no idea if you want to play in college yet, right? So understanding kind of where what their 
potential trajectory would be on the golf side. But then also understanding as, you know, as a junior and as an athlete, developmentally, where are they? And are they somebody who maybe is, hasn't quite hit their growth spurt yet, or, you know, is definitely in the middle of the growth spurt, <laughs> um, you know, and, and really understanding, you know, just physiologically, who is this kid in front of us and, and where are their strengths, where do their strengths lie? You know, where, where does potential opportunity lie for us to develop them? And that's kind of what I would say kind of from a, just a general overall looking at them. Um, we absolutely don't have any of those questions with our, you know, older golfers, right. they're well past puberty at that point. <laughs> well, and, I'm, um, and I believe, I'm a big believer in playing multiple sports. Uh, you can see the oh, difference, 100%. can't you, in the kids that come in to play multiple sports versus the one that may be specifically for golf? 100%. And not only can we see the difference in them, I, I think it's also important, you know, part of our job and, and just responsibility to the kids and their parents is, you know, somebody coming in at 12 who says, hey, I want to play golf, I also play these other sports. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen, you know, three, four years later, now, they've been training with us, but they're not even playing golf anymore. They're, they want to play tennis or they want to mm-hmm. play basketball. Or, and so there's such an importance early on when they come in, and any kid, where you are developing them as an athlete to be explosive, to be you know, agile, to be strong, flexible. Because regardless, you know, we all know what's exciting to a kid at 13 may not be exciting to them at, 13, you know, at 16. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's really important that we build a, a strong, a good overall balanced athlete um, and then from there, then, you know, if they stick with golf, well, then obviously we're, we're developing more deeply in that, in that arena. And that's really on the golf side where we look at, you know, we, we, if they're coming in person, we hook them up in our 3D system, they're on force plates, or they're on our launch monitors, we're measuring all their golf and body characteristics, we're testing how strong they are, we're testing you know, power, there's a couple specific power tests that have causational relationships to club head speed, uh, flexibility, all of that. Uh, and we work with a ton of golfers virtually as well. Who we can do other than get the, other than getting them on our force plates, we can yeah. pretty much do everything else with them, um, which has been really a great thing for us to be able to reach a lot more kids and a lot more just golfers at large is by being able to get the same results virtually that we do in house. It's really cool because of all the data and the analysis that we do, where we are able to really dial in and say, hey, these are the, the, the these are the things that are going to move the needle, and these are the things that we definitely need to be looking at. How often do they, uh, when they do the virtual, they have access to your professionals anytime they want, or is, uh, the, I guess the programs would vary? Because uh, you see that in instruction. I had two daughters that play in the SEC, and I said, you know, call VJ Trolio, who was the instructor at, at Old Waverly, taught so many players and t- teaches some tour players, and it's like, call him on your iPhone. You can do that now. When I was growing up, mm-hmm. you couldn't do that. Isn't that, isn't that. That's probably one of the biggest things that has changed, even in your business, is now being able to do it virtually. A hundred percent. That's actually one of the things we joke about is that our virtual clients oftentimes have more interaction and contact with their coaches and with our professionals than people who come in house. Yeah. Like if somebody comes in person, you know, they'll come, you know, maybe twice a week, right? They'll, they'll be here for an hour. You know, maybe if you get a text or something, you know, in between, like that's, that's good. Our virtual people, they'll jump on zoom calls or FaceTime or they're, you know, texting, calling the coaches. I mean, they're talking multiple times a week on a, you know, semi-daily basis of hey what do you got going up you're traveling or you know this popped up at the golf course or you know this exercise felt really easy today how do i progress through through here so it actually the the technology side of it actually does allow for more communication and a lot easier which allows us to really progress people uh you know quicker than i ever would have thought could have done unless they were here in person well what are some of the common mistakes you see with the kids who maybe try to work out on their own that don't come to professionals like you 
uh, and they get injured. Uh, and you see it, it doesn't matter yeah. if it's junior level. My daughters were injured in college level because the guys or gals that were working them out weren't specific for golf. Uh, what yep. are some of the mistakes you see some of the kids maybe making early on? Yeah, so early on, uh, the big mistake is that kids will tend to want to do what they're good at uh, or what they've seen on you know Golf Channel mm-hmm. or you know just some, some medium. You know, actually, for them, it's probably more YouTube uh, you know, or TikTok or something. Exactly. Right? And so – and so really what we tend to see is, you know, the girls, if we, these are obviously generalizations, but they generally hold true. Girls tend to have more of a need for strength development. Right. They tend to be extremely flexible in terms of their rotational capabilities and their hips, uh, shoulders, spine. Like those are all actually pretty good, generally speaking. For them, it's more of a need to, um, you know, really help them understand how to develop strength and, and do it in the right ways where they get the, you know, lifting, you know, how do they hinge? They press and teaching them the proper mechanics and, and the right ways to do it. So I'd say the number one thing for girls, why girls would get hurt would be a, they, all they do is flexibility. Mm-hmm. There's still a myth out there that if, you know, kids work out, you're going to stunt their growth or, which has all been very much proven false. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think for girls, we tend to see lack of, of commitment to the strength training, which particularly as they start going through puberty and, and you know, hormones start going, that's actually the biggest safety net for them <laughs> possible is the stronger they are, the bigger their armor is to the hit their body's going to be taking, you know, particularly, you know, when the estrogen goes up and you know, they get more flexible, that's when most injuries actually occur. Mm. So the stronger that the girls are, uh, that actually we see particularly from our juniors all the way to our tour players, it decreases the likelihood of them getting hurt for boys. It's actually flipped. Um, you know, for them, what we see is the opposite where they, um, you know, they're typically less flexible. Um, and then, but we will see that the strength side is like what they're more interested in. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this is more the testosterone and, you know, the, the bench pressing and what the other kids in school and you know, squatting, what are your numbers? So we'll tend to see there's more of a commitment generally to the weightlifting side of things, uh, and not so much to the mobility side of things. Um, Unfortunately, the type of commitment that we tend to see to the weightlifting is all the wrong stuff. Yep. Yeah, they want to do the vanity, the vanity muscles, right? They want to do the curls. You know, they're not necessarily working on the musculature that's in, in the, the movement patterns that are actually going to be, uh, you know, predictive of club head speed gains and performance improvements and keep them healthy. That's one of the things I see in some of the workouts. And yeah, we'll get into college here in a minute. But they're all everybody wants to hit hit it further. They want to gain speed. Uh, and, and some say, you know, less heavy weights, more reps. Uh, but it's, I thought that was interesting when you say about strength, because I think for my young oldest daughter, it was a strength issue for her stand in posture with her golf swing, uh, and then her head would drop and it was more of a strength issue there. Both were great athletes, speed, flexible, like you said. Uh, and, and I think mm-hmm. they were injured by lifting bars over their head that were too heavy going with the trainer saying, <laughs> you know, I got to well, do it. Cause he told yeah. me I had to do it. And I said, you know, if it's yeah, too well, the, 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 the the second you say putting bars over golfers, oh. like a golfer, a golfer never needs to put anything over their head. Exactly. Sorry, and there's nothing in the game of the golf that requires anybody to lift weight over their head. Um, and that's we actually we did an interesting study where we had ten girls who all swung over 100 miles an hour. So they mm-hmm. were six, 16 to I believe 28. So they were um, either very high level junior, they were playing in college, or they were pro. And we looked at all of them and we said, hey, we're curious. If we looked at all these girls who are swinging over 100 miles an hour, which obviously is very fast for women, mm-hmm. 
what what are their commonalities among these among these women? And every single one of them deadlifted over two hundred pounds. So in terms of absolute wow. strength, they were all they were all really strong. Yeah. But the interesting thing was there were a number of them who had back pain. And mm. so when we looked at them and we looked at how much they lifted relative to how much they weighed, if they weren't lifting above and beyond, I think it was like one and a half times their body weight. So if somebody weighed, let's say, 200 pounds, right, one and a half times their body weight would be 300 pounds. Ooh. So if somebody weighed, if we had a woman who weighed 200 pounds and another woman who weighed, you know, 100 pounds, right, and they both lifted 200 pounds, that was the interesting thing is they, you know, they're all swinging over 100 miles an hour. But that 100-pound girl who could lift the 200, that's two times her body weight, she had no back pain. Mm. The girl who, who, could, who weighed 200 and only lift one times her body weight at 200 pounds, she had back pain. And the interesting thing was once we got the women who had the back pain strong enough where they hit that number of that one and a half times, then all of a sudden the back pain went away. That's wild. <laughs> um, that's wild. So, so what that really kind of stood out to us was it's, Yes, how much you can move is important in terms of creating speed. So how, how much force you can produce obviously is going to allow you to produce more speed in the golf swing. But having that and understanding how does that relate in terms of relative, what's called relative strength, mm-hmm. means how strong are you relative to your body weight, that's actually one of the bigger and more important things when we talk about injury prevention and, and being healthy for a really long time. Um, so that was, it was a really interesting consideration that, you know, unfortunately what you're describing in the collegiate world is not uncommon. No. It's actually very, very common. Very common. I yeah. can't tell you every, every year our kids go to school. It's just a list of, all right, what schools do we got to call this year and which strength coach is going to, do we have to try to convince to, you know, to do things the right way this year? Um, it's just, unfortunately in the collegiate world, it's a merry ground of strength coaches. You're lucky if you got the same strength coach for two years in college. Um, and everybody who gets the golf team, unfortunately, golf team's not why they're in the strength and conditioning field in in the collegiate world. They're there for football or basketball, generally speaking. And unfortunately the golf teams are the ones that just kind of get added on. And so, yeah, they don't understand the golf swing. And so that's, but that's why it's so important for everyone listening. You know, if you do have a junior, if you're a junior yourself, you have to be the most educated person in that room for you and your body so that you can know what you can do and what you should be doing so you don't get hurt. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because I think you see a lot, these kids go to college to working out four or five days uh, a week, getting up at five in the morning. It's a full time job, and they're working with the football coach, yeah. or they're working with yep. the softball coach. I'm not picking on them. I'm just like you said, it's not specific for golf. And you're seeing some of the bigger schools. Of course, they have bigger budgets. They're able to get specific uh, exercise and, and fitness guys in there that trainers that work specifically with golf, and they do a great job with that. But that's not the common thing you see. Uh, I don't know. How does nutrition nutrition work in in, in this? Do you guys do anything with nutrition? Because that's another part of uh, of it as well. Oh, we try. We try a lot. Yeah, I bet you do. (laughs) But uh, as I'm sure sure you're aware, particularly if you have two that play collegially, that's probably the absolute thing uh, that golfers are the least interested in, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, They just kind of want to eat what they want, or some get nervous and they. I can't eat on the course or, um, in terms of its level of importance, it's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cannot be under understated. Um, you know, we had a discussion, we have one of the, um, young man here, 17, he's probably going to, you know, I don't know if he'll skip college or not, but he certainly has the capability of it he coming in and he comes in at like 11 o'clock. He'd just done a two hour lesson. We go through the workout, we get about halfway through and he starts cramping everywhere. So the guy said, I said, 
I said, huh. I said, well, what'd you, what'd you eat today, man? He, you know, he looks kind of, you know, sluggish and whatnot. He goes, well, you know, I had a, he said, I had a cookie and I think he had a cookie and I don't know, maybe like a Gatorade. That might've been what he had. No, he, mind you, he had already driven an hour. He, he lives about an hour and a half away. So he'd driven an hour and a half up, up to Raleigh. He had done a two hour work with his golf instructor, his coach. And then he came to the workout and we're halfway through the workout. So he's two and a half, almost three hours into physical activity. He's been up for four or five hours. The guy weighs 200 pounds and he's eaten like two, 300 calories. And so yeah, it's kind of like posing to him like, Hey, do you, you know, do you understand that you're burning all of the muscle stores you have to create all the energy and you're in a workout trying to build muscle, but you're burning muscle to try to build muscle. Does that make sense to you? Right. So it's just, it's so much education of, of trying to get them to buy in. And when they, when you finally do get that light bulb moment, usually it's, they almost pass out because their blood sugar tanks. Or, right. <laughs> you, finally, you, finally, you finally will get, you know, a watershed moment like that. It's then, then it's amazing when they buy in and they're actually eating right. And they're, they're giving themselves the calories to actually build on all the actual work that they're putting in. And they're not just literally like in a state of, you know, red miles where they're like, basically burning muscle in this you know theoretical attempt at thinking they're going to build muscle but they're burning it in order to get the energy to go through the workouts and then all of a sudden like their performances go up they stop taking on the 13th 14th hole because blood sugar you know drops and so it's just so much education really of, of trying to give them simple tools start small uh and if you can really make like a real world connection like i was with that guy like, hey so the reason you're cramping is because you had a cookie and gatorade well, <laughs> and you, this- you've burned more than that. This would really, this would really ruin the entire podcast. But let me let me tell a story. This is how things have changed from our <laughs> days. When I won Greensboro, of course, Krispy Kreme is everywhere. Of course, I'm. Oh yeah. I, I grab a couple Krispy Kreme before on the way to the golf course, and and I should yeah. like I don't think I have three, two or three donuts and a Dr Pepper, which is horrible. Uh, I make the turn. I think it's the final day. I'm seven back. I shoot 31 in the front, and I said, hey, there's a couple more donuts. I grab a couple more, and I end up coming back from seven and winning the tournament. So that's not yep. the example for you kids listening. It just worked out that way. Things have really changed. I had I had some juniors ask me that, and their moms asked me about nutrition, and BJ's looking at me and says, you don't want to hear this answer. And it, things have really changed. So I am <laughs> – uh, that's probably why well, they, they were they were energy and protein they were organic donuts i'm sure oh right? they but, definitely were yeah, no right. calories yeah exactly no yeah and, yeah they were great yeah with that dr pepper <laughs> chaser was even better that's even the best part of it so, oh yeah yeah things have exactly. things have changed since the 90s and uh on the pga tour when you see these guys going but uh what advice do you have for these college kids when you know they've worked with you all where they have trainers and now they go to college and they have these trainers i mean that's tough when you've got an adult your coach or whatever telling you to do things, what advice do you have for those college kids that maybe say, Hey, this hurts and not be afraid to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest, I mean, knowledge is power here. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we do with all of our kids is we try to, we connect with the coaches. And so I would, I would say anybody who's going to school, you know, try to connect with your coach, you know, whether it's through the golf coach or if you can go directly to the strength coach. And sometimes they'll give the, give the kids summer programs to get started on. You know, if you can get ahead of time, hey, what is our program going to be looking like? Then that immediately is going to give you some insight into, oh, I'm dealing with a meathead, or hey, this person actually might know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of yeah. you get an idea if the programming's right or wrong, and then from there, then it's like opening the the line of communication with the coach, and saying, hey, you know, I you know, I I know you know I play golf, you know, these are you know having a discussion of hey, these are the types of things that have really worked for me in the past. 
Um, you know, are you open to kind of being able to manipulate and, and kind of mesh? You know, I understand I want to be a part of the team. I want to contribute. And that's the tough part with college is trying to be live into the, those team dynamics, but also looking out for yourself. And you don't want to come across as somebody who's going to refuse to do workouts or anything like that. But is there a way that we can work together, you know, strength coach and me as the, you know, if I'm the athlete, is there a way that we can work together to put together something that really kind of helps me to continue to play at my best? And the hope is that most of the times that actually, that usually works. In the, some cases that it doesn't, that's usually then where we'll, we'll reach out to the, uh, you know, to the coach and we'll have the conversation. At the end of the day, the golf coach is going to bring those kids in to play golf and they want the kid to play the best golf possible. Sure, right. So having the, having the conversation with the golf coach and be like, hey, this is the sort of stuff that, you know, worst case, let's say the strength coach says, no, you're doing my workouts. You can go to your golf coach and be like, hey, like, just, you know, I've done that sort of stuff. I, I didn't have the best results when I've been doing this sort of stuff. This has kind of helped me. Is there a way we can work something out here? Uh, and generally, I mean, the coach, everybody generally is on the same side of the table and they want you to play well and they want the school to do well. And um, so when you can come across it and, and approach it a way of, hey, let's all sit on the same side of the table and go forward, I'm not asking to not do workouts. I'm just asking, can we do things that I know help me? That usually works pretty well. And that may be where you got to go you know, half hour early or you stay a half hour later, or you go another day to, to get your supplemental stuff in that's maybe outside of the team stuff. Um, but it generally we're able to have some pretty good success, uh, you know, across the board. What's well, communication. I think you see that with the instructor. When, when an instructor has been teaching a kid since he's 10 years old, he heads off to college, a coach knows enough about it. There's got to be that commun- communication. I think that's important as well. So that, that's great advice because I think, I think they do. They get in there, and I, I've always I'll see some of the college kids, and they're going like, "Man, we did all these squats. I can't even walk, and we're playing next week." So, you know, that's yeah. a challenge because they do want to keep them in shape during the season. I'll ask coaches what they do, uh, but like I said, if you've got money in your budget, you can get specific and, and do a little bit different than some of the schools that not everybody can do that. Do you are you all able to work with? specific teams college teams or any kind of teams or, or are you not allowed to do that or are they spe- specifically stay in-house so it depends that's a great question so a lot of it comes down to ncaa regulation right. so uh if if you're division three yeah we can work with teams that's not a problem at all when you get to one and two they have limitations on how many coaches you can right. have on the okay. team uh and that's like we do a lot of work with a lot of the local acc schools and it's it's kind of fun funny rules where you can work with them but when the, they come in technically like we can't talk to them. Like we have to talk through the coach to them. Right. So we're not considered a coach. It's kind of goofy. Um, but if the kids come and work with us on their own volition outside of the school doing it, that's okay. Uh, you, know, you can work with them, you know, very much, very easily. And we do a lot of that with a lot of the top kids in the country where we're, we kind of, we communicate with the strength coach. We'll do a lot of the tests. We have access to a lot of equipment and testing stuff that, you know, the normal university doesn't, uh, where we can say, Hey, this is, you know, what this person needs and, you know, to supplement their workouts and, I help them undulate stuff. And we had a girl who we trained from freshman year of college, of high school. Um, she graduated senior year. She was four, four time state champ here in North Carolina. She went out to, um, you know, I won't name the school. She went out to a, a West coast school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, high level division one. She started in, in January. She started a half semester early in the spring semester. And when she came back, she, she had lost because just because of the workouts, doing all the wrong stuff. Yeah. She had lost five miles an hour of club head speed. Wow. She had left, she, she had left being able to squat. Like I think it was like 160. It was mid, mid to high hundreds in terms of what she could squat. She left, she couldn't even squat 80 pounds. Uh, like it looked like a train wreck. I mean, it was amazing what, how quickly, 
you know, stuff could be lost by doing the wrong things in, in, a, in a collegiate setting. And, you know, and no matter what, you know, unfortunately this wasn't a coach that was willing to work with us right. <laughs> and, and work with her, you know, and it just, it, to the detriment of her and the team of, and she, she's at this point, she's on the, you know, she's top 75 or whatever on the LPGA tour. So mm-hmm. it worked out. She, she was okay. But it, that is just a, an example that happens. She was able to get out of it. Unfortunately, there are a lot of kids who don't have the talent level that she had when they're able to survive that. Something like that can be so detrimental. Sure. You know, thankfully, she didn't get hurt or anything like that. Um, but it's just that's where the, I can't stress enough to anyone listening, if you know, a junior or parent of a junior, like get the in- knowledge and the information before you go. And, and don't just assume that wherever you're going kind of ha- is going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, definitely still do your due diligence and, you know, and ask the questions. And, uh, and that's kind of what we view our biggest goal is, you know, the reason we're on the podcast is just trying to share the best information with everybody possible that we can help as many golfers play as long as possible. Well, you mentioned losing distance and not being able to work out. We got some adults that listen and we got an old adult like me, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and I'm not juggling the I'm juggling grandkids now. So that's always tough. And, and I'm not playing that much, but how do you, what advice do you have for those folks that maybe don't have the time? How can they stay flexible strength and don't lose that strength? Uh, uh, as they get into their, you know, out of college, and they want to still play at that top level at amateur, just enjoy the game. Period. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think the 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 big thing there, I think, is you know, with the college kids and the juniors, you know, there's they, they tend to put more time in because they're developing and whatnot. I think when we get when we're adults, we've we've got a decent set of muscle mass, hopefully. Um, and what we the cool thing that we have found is mobility definitely seems to be you know, if we look at there's four main rotational centers that every golfer needs to be able to be successful at one is their hips obviously being able to rotate into their trail side and rotate into their lead side uh, you know their shoulders you think of your trail arm as you drop it down into the slot it has to be able to rotate back um, you know your, your thoracic spine or your think of your spine between your belly button and your neck that has to be able to rotate and then obviously your neck needs to be able to rotate. And interestingly, when we, there's four simple tests. We actually, we do these for free for people. We send them, you know, anybody can grab them. And basically 85% of people don't pass one of those tests. Wow. <laughs> Adults. 85%. And 85%. And what we found was, you know, talking, you know, guys and girls, you know, I think one of the biggest things we get older, we start losing distance. So mm-hmm. the immediate thing is what are there tons of training device wise? There's tons of speed training devices. <laughs> so yeah. Everyone goes, oh, I'm losing speed. I'm going to go do the speed training protocols. And then we see we, we did a study. We had uh, talked to 85 people who got ta- who got hurt doing overspeed training. Every single one of them, or it might have been 84 people, every single one of them failed one of at least one of the four rotational centers. And of that, 75 percent failed at least two. Wow. And most most people failing the hips or the shoulders. And so, and as we've kind of looked at our database and, and trying to look at injury prediction and kind of who's potentially more at risk to get hurt. You know, we really see that if you don't pass the ability to rotate, that is 100% one of the biggest red flags that we see. Um, and so the, the bad news is that most people fail at least one. Mm. The good news is that, you know, four to six weeks, you know, doing the right stuff less than 10, 15 minutes a day should pretty much be mostly fixed. Like, like most people can get better really quickly with minimal time and effort put into it. You just said 10 um, or 15 minutes. That, that Everybody's got 10 or 15 minutes. We spend an hour looking at the TV or our phones. <laughs> exactly. And the beautiful thing, you can still you can do it while you watch TV. It's stuff you lay on the ground. I like that. Like you can do the mobility work while. So it's, it's multitasking, right? So, <laughs> um, so that's, that's really that's where most you know low-hanging fruit that most golfers you know, who are losing distance start at. 
you know, even when you start layering in strength work and that sort of thing, you know, in terms of like what we see, what we've seen is if people can put, you know, at least 90 minutes a week towards getting their body in shape, mm-hmm. so 90 minutes a week, not a day or anything like that, you know, uh, that we really see, you know, across the mobility and the strength and, the, and, and those sorts of things, we see a, the mobility, you know, resolves where there's able, they're able to rotate. So injuries and pain and all that gets better. We see that from a, a speed standpoint, on average, in the first three months, we see people gain on average, at least, you know, 10 yards. Um, and then we see over the first year, we see people gaining, you know, anywhere between, you know, four to six miles an hour on average. So it's getting, it starts getting pretty close to 20 miles an hour mm. with really relatively minimum commitment for people just because we're assessing the body, we're mm. assessing where people's deficits are. And then we're just giving people, you know, the, the hey, these, these are the core things that you need to be working on to get better. Um, there's very few golfers, I don't know if you've met a lot, most golfers are not gym rats. No, we're not. No, we're, we're not looking to go to the gym, right? No, we don't. We don't. We don't work. We don't play golf so that we can work out. We, if we're going to work out, we do that so we can play golf. And so that's been a real kind of, uh, you know, pillar or cornerstone of everything we've looked at our research is how can we give people the best results with asking them to do what we realistically know has to be the least amount of time. Uh, and that's been one of the keys, particularly for the adult, is hey, if you can give me ninety minutes a week. 100% sure I can help you. Yeah. <laughs> and we just got to assess. And, and I think that's the cool things. One of the cool things we have this, this free, uh, like home assessment where people can in five minutes take the assessment and figure out, you know, hey, did, did you pass the, did I pass the test or not? You know, what, what, what do I need to work on? And we actually, we created a, uh, a page for everyone listening. It's just parforsuccess.com slash only one shot. So anyone listening as a thanks for listening as a part of the show, they can go to that page, um, parforsuccess.com slash only one shot. And they can grab that assessment for free and they can see kind of, Hey, do I rotate? Well, you know, how do I, we also have uh, club head speed metrics in there that they can see comparatively to other people in their age brackets. Uh, it's really cool information. we talked about getting people the right information because knowledge is power. It's a really cool free thing that we like to do, you know, particularly with, you know, when we're on shows like this is to give the listeners an opportunity to get better uh, with you know, no commitment. Just do it. Get the information, and you can do with it. You know, from there, you know, you can, you can go from there. Yeah, that question was specifically from my wife, who's won twelve state ams and is at fifty. I think what is she fifty five, trying to gain two yards. So that was a specific question <laughs> from, from her. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can get two yards. I think she can. <laughs> she thinks she's going to get it by buying a different golf a driver, but I don't think that's the answer. I think it's going to be a combination deal there. But uh, how, how can you mentioned well, some stuff? But how can people get a hold of y'all and find par for success and and get in contact with y'all? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, getting in contact with us and, and, you know, we're on all the social channels, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, we have a big YouTube channel. Uh, everything's just at par for success, P-A-R, the number four success. Um, so those are definitely the easiest places to find us. YouTube, we've got tons of information. We release new videos every single week, uh, kind of giving people, like I said, all the information possible. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing that I would really encourage anybody listening, juniors to adults, uh, we're trying to get out of pain, just trying to play at the next level, trying to gain speed, whatever it is, definitely the, the home assessment. And basically it's a report that allows you to see how you compare to other golfers, your age, um, you know, where you could potentially get better, you know, particularly you know, as we're going into the winter season and whatnot, uh, just par for success.com slash only one shot. And that takes you right to the landing page, put in your email and you'll get the, we'll send you the assessment right away. So it's super easy to get to. And, and they hopefully, you know, if people take advantage of that. They'll get all the information that they need to, to start figuring out what they need to do. 
Well, this has been great. I appreciate your time, and I always like to end it. Remember, whether life or golf, you may have only one shot. Got to make it count. You only have one body, and you got to keep it in shape and uh, do the things Chris mentioned. And, and I think you'll gain some yardage. But it's been great having you on, and uh, we look forward to maybe getting you back on again some other time. But uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, for sure. Would love to. Thanks so much. Well, we appreciate Chris spending some time with us. That was fascinating. He's with Par for Success. Uh, gave us some great advice on fitness. Uh, it was a really good uh, interview with him, and, and knowledge is the key uh, to success, and, and that was some great stuff. We appreciate him spending some time with him. We appreciate Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. And uh, special thanks to VJ Trolio for writing the book Only One Shot, and you can find that at Amazon and VJ Trolio's at Old Waverly Golf Club. My name's Jim Gallagher. appreciate you listening. Until next time, we'll see you later. Flatlands and hills raised, bite anything, whatever a farmer can dream. Slug burgers, shrimp ball, catfish fried up in oil. Oh, good gosh, you're mighty, just a husk of hot tamale now.